0: verse number 14 of these things put them in remembrance by the way anytime a preacher preaches a message he's preached before maybe there's a year or two between them nothing wrong with that Uh, over and over again the bible talks about the fact that we need to be reminded uh, sometimes it's not a new truth in fact to be honest with you if a preacher preaches a new truth uh, something's wrong because everything we preach has been written in scripture and it's an old truth uh, there's nothing new uh, that's being revealed at this point. We just hold to the old book. And, uh, but he does say here in verse number 14, If these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth the canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying, The resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful us, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that are calling the Lord out of a pure heart. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon once again. We ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us. May we glean from the passage this afternoon that which you'd have us to glean. And may it impact our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that you would not just let this be a passing of time or a doing of our Christian duty without there being a a heartfelt uh, searching and desiring for your Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. And so I ask this afternoon that You'd help each and every one of us to hunger and to thirst after this. And that it would be, so, be something that we would desire in our hearts above all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul begins instructing Timothy regarding his speech. And he makes the important statement here, and we've we've quoted this verse many times. People have memorized it many times. In verse number 15... Uh, He he cautions them in verse 14 that they uh, strive not about words to no profit. But he says in verse 15, "...study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." And so we understand from the context of verse 15 that the studying is not just going to college and learning how to do math better and do science better and do history better. But specifically in verse 15, he refers to the fact that we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. So the studying here is in reference to our handling of God's word. That we need to be able to handle this book skillfully. We need to be able to understand it and to know it and to handle it well. To be able to call to memory uh, the things that are necessary for us to discuss things in a way that would not cause a reproach to the cause of Christ and a way that we would not be doctrinally in error it 's amazing to me <coughs> how many times we take things out of context in scripture and uh, and we uh, uh, misunderstand what it 's talking about for instance and i'll give you i 've dealt with several of these specifically, but uh, how many of you have uh, heard the the verse of scripture that says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them How many of you have heard that verse before? How many of you have heard that verse preached that Uh, if we get two or three together to pray, that that's better because that's what that verse teaches. I mean, if you've heard it preached that way or taught similar that way. If you'll look at the passage that that is found in, it's dealing with church discipline. It has nothing to do with God being more present with two or three people than if He is with one. What it is saying there is that God's authority is established in the mouth of those two or three people that are gathered together. That the church discipline has the authority of Christ because it's done by two or three. And that He's on board with that. He's, he's in that move of church discipline. There are people that I know of that say, I need to get two or three people to pray with me on this because it will help God to move better. The truth is, God will move at your prayer by yourself just as easily as He'll move at a prayer of somebody that's in a group. And the problem is we have taken that passage out of its context, out of the chapter that it's found in, and we've given it a meaning that it does not mean. Uh, there are numbers of places that we can deal with that. Uh, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Oftentimes we refer to that verse as, telling us that we shouldn't be angry uh, before the sun goes down. In other words, if we're angry, we need to get it right before the sun goes down. But again, if you'll read the context, it's talking about how we need to view our sin. And it tells us that we're to be angry about our sin. And we are not to let the sun go down on that wrath. We're to keep that wrath stirred up about our sin. It's not to diminish. It's not to get lighter. We're not to make sin less sinful in our eyes. And so we've got to be careful when we are handling the Word of God that we study it well, that we look at the context. We don't just pull a verse of Scripture. And um, I, I, I want to be careful how I say this, but I have been in meetings where the preacher did not let the Bible get in the way of a good message. And by that, I'm simply saying this, they will pull one phrase or one verse And they'll preach it, and it may even be a biblical principle that they're preaching, but that is not what that verse is teaching. And we've got to be careful, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy, every time a preacher does that, it causes those that doubt Scripture, it causes those that are without, to to question the authority of men that are standing in the pulpits and preaching. Because now we're taking and putting our view, our spin, on what we're trying to say. Now, the, the truth they're preaching may be a biblical truth. So my challenge to the people that uh, that would be that way would be, then go into your Bible and find the right passage to preach that truth from. Don't pull it out of context. We cause damage, we cause harm when we take the Bible out of context. It's very, very important. So Paul is telling Timothy basically this. You need to study the Word of God. You need to make sure that you study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. They don't have to come back and say, oh, I'm embarrassed by that. I, I didn't realize that's what that was really referring to. And I'll be frank with you. There are times I've had to swallow the humility pill as a pastor and come back and tell somebody, you know what, I missed the mark in preaching that. I, I, I didn't quite understand the context. And, and I, I did not preach that properly or accurately. My heart's desire as a pastor is to be absolutely accurate And in context with God's Word. And that's why I encourage people in our church. If you're hearing me say something from the pulpit that doesn't seem to line up with the Scriptures, come tell me about it. You're not going to hurt my feelings because my heart's desire is to be right according to Scripture. And if I'm wrong on that, I need to have that brought to light so I can study it further and know it and understand it. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but occasionally it will. I'm fallible. By the way, every preacher is fallible. We are not the authorities. We are not the writers of Scripture. We are not the ones who are inspiring new truth. We are simply trying to take a a truth that is written by an infinite God and a holy God, and with our sinful and finite minds, we're trying to do the best we can to preach it and to preach it rightly. And rest assured, there will be times we'll make mistakes, but it should not be for lack of study. It ought be that every one of us, whether we are a preacher of the gospel that stands behind the pulpit, or whether we are a member of a church who is soul winning and telling others about Christ, all of it is taking the uh, eternal Word of God and sharing it and knowing it and being able to handle it skillfully. So he tells us in verse 15, to study, to show thyself approved unto God. That is an internal thing we are trying to build something inside. When we study, we are building our intellect, we're building our heart, we're building our compassion, we're letting this book transform the inside of us. When we look at verse number 16, Paul tells Timothy, not study in this verse, he says, but what? What's the next word there in verse 16? But what? Shun. Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. I've heard people that when you ask them a question, they are an expert on the subject even if they know nothing about it. They are, they are, they are often wrong, but never in doubt, okay? They, they will tell you an answer, whether they know the answer or not. There are times that men and women will get into debates, and we will make truth statements. We'll make emphatic, dogmatic statements that are our opinion, that are our mindset, and we do not have Bible to back it up. You can rest assured you are on shaky ground every time we do that. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, look, study so that inwardly you can know and rightly handle the Word of God and shun these things outwardly. Don't don't start spouting off truth that you're not certain of, that you don't have Bible for, that you can't look at Scripture and say, there it is. Be careful of that. Because he says in verse number 16, they will increase unto more what? Ungodliness. A preacher may be very sincere in trying to teach something that he may not understand clearly from Scripture. But all he will succeed in doing is increasing ungodliness. Because again, people will look at that as no authority supporting his argument. No authority supporting the truth that he just stated. It is imperative, not just for the pastors, but for people in our pews to study the Word of God, to be able to take this book and handle it well. To be workmen that need not to be ashamed. (coughs) When God, (coughs) excuse me, when God commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was that given to pastors only? What, What about just evangelists? I know, just just pastors, evangelists, and missionaries. That's it, right? Nobody else. Who was that given to? Well, initially, his disciples weren't they? But we've understood that as an ongoing commission by God that those who name the name of Christ, who trust Him as their Savior, and we find this in the book of Acts when the Bible talks about those that were believers were daily from house to house going about and they were preaching and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the work that we are supposed to be doing. I've said so often before, I love it, and I don't mind a bit for a church member to say, Pastor, I was talking to this person and about things of the Lord, and I told them they really need to talk to you. I'm thankful for that. I'm willing to do that. I love doing that, and I've never uh, shied away from that. I'm not trying to tell you by this that I don't want to do that anymore. What I am trying to say is, you ought to be able to tell them yourself. You ought to be able to pull your Bible out and say, let's go to Scripture. Let's see what God has to say about it. So he tells us two things here. He says, number one, we're to study the Word of God. Secondly, we are to shun profane and vain babblings. Things that are not going to serve any purpose. Things that have no authority, no foundation under them. Because those things will increase unto more ungodliness. He goes on to say, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. I have no doubt in my mind that Hymenaeus and Philetus were convinced in their hearts that this was true. I don't think they were lying. I don't think they were standing up and intentionally trying to deceive. I think they just had not studied Scripture. Within the context, he's using them as the illustration to support his point, I believe it fits. In verse nineteen, the Bible says, "Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth what? Sure, do we understand that this is our authority? This book right here is our authority. It's the basis of how we live our life in every aspect. We were speaking a little bit ago about about uh, uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, not not to not to measure ourselves by some other standard, by by maybe how we relate to some other Christian or how we measure up according to them. Those folks are, are my brothers and sisters in Christ and I love them, but they are not my authority. I do not measure myself by some denominational hierarchy. I do not measure myself by my denominational name. I measure myself by this book. I am, an I like to say, a dependent But I am an independent, meaning I don't answer to a higher group of of denominational hierarchy. And I am Baptist, but my doctrine does not come from the fact that I call myself a Baptist. The Baptist doctrine has to come from this book, or I'm not one of them. Because this book is my authority, not that denominational name. And if another group of pastors, if all the Baptists in America decide they're going to go a different direction than what the Bible tells, then I have a choice to make. I'm either going to allow my faith to be anchored by, to be the authority would be my denomination, or I can come back and say, no, my authority is the Word of God. I don't have any problem at all saying I'm a Baptist. But above all, I am a Bible believer. I have it as my sole authority of faith and practice, or at least that is my desire. I don't always accomplish that, but it is always the desire of my heart and always be the desire of every believer's heart. Every person that names the name of Christ is trusted Christ as their Savior. Our sole goal ought to be to pattern and emulate our life after the truth of this book. You say, well, are you telling me not to be a Baptist? No, I are one. But don't let Baptists distinguish what your doctrine is. This book does. Above all, I was talking with someone a while back, and I took them to numerous passages of Scripture to express what a doctrine was saying and what it was teaching. It wasn't just a vague misunderstanding. It was clearly, clearly marked in Scripture. And the comment was made, does that mean that every other preacher I've heard was wrong? <laughs> if I have Scripture to stand on, then my answer to that is Yes. Because I don't care if every preacher in the world is preaching something different. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, they're wrong. We've got to study the Bible. I love the fact that the Bible talks about a group of folks called the Bereans. You know what was so distinguishing about the Bereans? They searched the Scriptures to see if these things be so. They didn't take what they were taught at face value. They came to the Bible. They said, I want to see it in the Scripture. Men are fallible. Preachers are fallible. Churches are fallible. Denominations certainly are fallible. But this book, infallible. Men can be in error. Churches can be in error. By the way, members of churches can be in error. Don't exclude yourself out of this. If I'm going to include myself, you can include yourself. This book doesn't have an error. So it is our authority. We need to we need to nail this down rock hard. We need to seal it in our hearts. That should not be up for discussion. It should not be up for debate. It should not be something that we're wishy-washy on and don't know for sure about. It should be established in our hearts. This book is our authority. We need to study it. We need to know it. We need to handle it well. Then he switches gears for a little bit. And he begins to talk about uh, the vessels and uh, he begins uh, in verse number uh, 20 by the in a great but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver it's also of wood and of earth and some of honor some to honor and some to dishonor and then he makes a peculiar statement because it seems like he's he's ended the topic that we were just talking about and that he's begun a new topic that was not associated with it but in verse 21 he says if a man therefore purge himself from these what's he referring to here the vessels? No, that's not what he's referring to. He's referring to the vain and vain and uh, fa- <laughs> excuse me, the, the the vain and profane babblings. He's referring to those that are causing the canker and the disturbance by their wrong doctrinal error. He says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Why? Because we know the Word of God. You can go to Bible college and you can study for four years and get a diploma and put it on your wall, and you will not be prepared for ministry unless you have studied the book. You can go to Sunday school all of your life, from the time you're an infant until the time you are a senior citizen, You can sing in the choir. You can labor in services and ministries of the church. And you will not be qualified to be a vessel of honor unless you have studied the book. It is the understanding and the good handling of this book that determines whether a vessel is a vessel that is fit and meet for the Master's use or not. You can be a clean vessel. You can live rightly. But if you've not studied the book, you're not fit for the Master's use yet. He can't use you. At least He can't use you as efficiently or as well as He would like to. Notice He says in verse number 21, once again, let's read very carefully here, If a man therefore purge himself from these, speaking of the vain and profane babblings, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet. The word meet here, M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T. The word meet here means suitable, complete, equipped. He fits the bill. He's the last piece of the puzzle kind of thing. He is suitable. He is meet for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. If I come to church every time the doors are open and listen to the preacher my entire life, am I prepared for every good work? No. Only in my studying of Scripture am I going to be prepared for every good work. Only as I get to the place where I am a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, then and only then am I prepared for every good work. Until then, I may be a servant, but I am a servant that has to bear some shame. Because I am not a very good servant. I'm failing the Master. I'm not doing the best that I can. I'm not giving Him my best. A lot of people think, well, I can get saved, I can get baptized, and I can come to church every time the doors are open, and that will make me a good Christian. No, no. Those are things that just ought to happen anyway. Those are just the normal. That's nothing extraordinary. What makes us a good Christian, a godly Christian, is our walk with God and understanding this book and learning it and handling it well. I want to share a couple things about us as vessels Something we need to be aware of. Every single one of us, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, number one, are purchased. We're purchased. We are a vessel that God owns. We belong to Him. He's purchased us with a price. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God. Now, now listen to me. We are purchased as a vessel. Secondly, we are to be set apart as a vessel. Notice this. And I've heard men mispreach this and misunderstand this. Notice what it says here in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth. Can I tell you this? Up to this point, you could be any one of those four and there's nothing wrong with it some are some are look really nice they're glistening they're great they're used for special reasons others are more common there's not a whole lot of glitz and glamour around them the fact of what the, the vessel is made of is not what determines whether it's a vessel of honor or not look what it says here and some out of this category of four some of these gold silver wood, earth, some of them are to honor and some of them are to dishonor. What determines whether they are for honor or dishonor? Whether or not they purge themselves from vain and profane babblings and whether or not they are prepared for every good work. You may say, boy, that person has talent just oozing out of them. God gave them such gifts. I wish God could use me like that. He can. You may be an earthen vessel, but God can still use you for honor because what you're made of is not what determines the honor. It's what fills the vessel that determines the honor. It's what the vessel is being used for that determines the honor, not what it's made of. I've known people that have said, boy, I can't serve God. I'm just... And they go on to start telling you all of their frailties and infirmities and disabilities. Can I tell you this? I know some of the greatest men that have been most mightily used of the Lord have had some of the greatest disabilities. I think none more important than the Apostle Paul who had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet him. And yet look at how God used him. So it doesn't matter if you're a golden vessel, a silver vessel, an earthen vessel, or a wooden vessel. What does matter is, have you shunned profane and vain babblings? And have you prepared yourself by studying for every good work? I want you to notice there are three things that a vessel ought to always be doing. Number one, we ought to be growing in our knowledge. Paul told Timothy to study. When does Timothy get to stop studying? Did he give him a limitation? He says, Timothy, you need to study until you reach this. Is that what he said? The truth of the matter is, we will be studying and learning this book because it is an inexhaustible book our entire life until we cross over to heaven. Because I'll be real frank with you, I've studied this book for a lot of years. Some other men in this room and other ladies in this room could tell you they've studied this book for a lot of years. And I will tell you, there are not enough seconds in our lifetime to dedicate to this book to fully understand all of it. To fully handle all of it and get all of it. So this idea of building, studying, and growing in our knowledge of this book is something that we are to do all the time. Every time we get an opportunity, we should be learning from it. <laughs> Brother Dan and I were talking before the service, and he needs me to. Uh, is it okay if I share with him what you need me to? He needs me to take uh, some cassette tapes. Y'all remember what those are? Yeah. He needs me to take those and put them on a digital format. And he said, "Can you put them on a CD?" I said, "Yeah." So we can do that. And I said, or do you want them on a USB flash drive? He's like, boy, yeah. He said, I guess technology's moving, you know, or something to that effect. And how we can't keep up. Can I tell you this? The more we study Scripture, and some of you can nod in agreement, you'll know what I'm talking about. The more we learn about it, the more we study it, the more we realize we don't have a grasp on it yet. Boy, it opens up to us, and we start realizing, man, I could study this if I had three lifetimes. And still not fully handle it well. So we are to, as a vessel, be growing in our knowledge of this book all the time. Number two, as a vessel, we are to be growing in our personal walk with God, our testimony, our inner man, all the time. You say, How do I grow inwardly? By studying the book. It is my standard. I'm okay with people preaching on standards. I, from time to time, preach on standards and sometimes even specific standards. But I'm not going to grow if I just have a punch list of standards that I'm trying to achieve in my life. I'm going to grow when I come to God's Word and I begin to let it do its transforming work in my heart. There needs to be continuous growing in our knowledge of Scripture there needs to be a continuous growing of the inner man. Thirdly, there needs to be a continual outward expression of what we've gained from God's Word. We need to be showing. We need to be going out into the world. We need to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And we need to be declaring a message that God has given to us from His Word. Everywhere we go. Notice what he says here in verse number uh, 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified. This idea of sanctified means that he's been cleansed, he's been set apart. Notice this. And neat, suitable, he fits the bill, for the master's use and prepared unto what? Every good, what? Vacation? Every good church service? What does it say? Every good what? Work. We're to be laboring for the master. That's what a vessel does. Notice our relationship here. It Notice that this vessel has a relationship, and the relationship is the vessel has a master. And the vessel's purpose is to not labor for the vessel, but to labor for the master. We're we'll to be doing a work for God. I cannot impress the importance of studying this book, knowing it, handling it well. So we can grow in the knowledge of it. That it can work on us inwardly and cause us to grow in our life for the Lord. And that we take the things that we have learned and we take it to a world and we show forth and we go forth. We live it and we declare it everywhere we go. We're to study the right word. We're to shun the wrong word. Then I want you to notice in verse number 22. He gives an added word of admonition to the vessel. The vessel, not only is he to be prepared for every good work, and he does that by shunning profane and vain babblings and studying the Word, but notice in verse 22, he also challenges and exhorts the vessel, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that are calling the Lord out of a pure heart. We see, we see a contrast here. We're to flee the youthful us. We're to have faith and to follow after righteousness. We're to run from one. We're to follow after the other. Kind of helps us understand that the youthful us and righteousness are enemies one to the other. And you cannot flee one without pursuing the other. We talked a little bit ago in the main service, 11 o'clock service about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Here Paul exhorts Timothy. He says, "I want you to be a vessel that is meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. In doing that, Timothy, you need to flee the youthful us, and you need to follow after righteousness." You've got to do both. I know a lot of Christians that focus so much on the fleeing of youthful us that they don't spend any time following after the righteousness. He talks about four things here. There's righteousness, which is something that we are inwardly. There's faith, which is something that we express outwardly. And then he speaks of peace, which we experience inwardly. And then there's charity, which we do outwardly. These are all things that are, that are, that are results of what happens on the inside. Our faith is expressed when we pursue righteousness, when we follow after it. Our charity is expressed when we understand and we're at peace with God in our lives. We're living the way that we should. Our hearts are in tune with Him. And as the inner man is transformed, the outside of the vessel begins to see works that come out. Why? Because we're prepared for every good work. He says in verse number 23, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. We need to study the book. We need to know this book well. I've taught many, many sermons and messages, sometimes in the afternoon services. Brother Dan, last time he preached, in the after- I don't know if it was the morning or afternoon, but it might have been Wednesday night, excellent, excellent message on the importance of memorizing Scripture. Oh, I wish you'd get that and listen to it. Why? Because it helps us to know this book. It helps us to study it. And then, ask the Holy Spirit, as we come to this book, ask the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts. He will do it if we ask Him. I've known men that have read certain things in the Scriptures, and their conclusion was way off the wall. Why? Because they were reading it and trying to understand it with their own intellect, their own mind. When we come to this book, the one that knows it more than we do is the author. And if we ask him to help us understand it, the Bible says he will teach us in all truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings. If we can do this, the Bible says, we will be a vessel of honor prepared unto every good work. I don't know about you, but I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be found meat for the Master's use. When God looks down and says, I need someone. In Isaiah, he asked in chapter 53, who shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. When God looks down and says, I've got a work to be done, I want Him to find a vessel that is meet for the Master's use. A vessel that knows this book, that can handle this book well, and will, pro- will show shun profane and vain babblings. Are we a vessel fit for the Master's use? You say, well, Pastor, I've been saved for a long, long time. That's not what I asked. Do we know this book well? Can we handle it well? Are we ready to give an answer to every man? The reason of the hope that's within us. Are we able to take this book and handle it when someone has a question and say, let me find some scripture that will help us in this area? I was counseling a young married couple a couple months ago at their house going through some difficult times. And I said, look, guys, they were talking about some other things they'd read in books to try to help them with their marriage. I said, men do not have the answers. Men are the ones who have the problems. I said, you know, granted, there may be some things that are good in those books, but they're written by men. I said, if you need help with your marriage, you're not going to find it in a book. You're not going to find it by going to a counselor. You're going to find it by coming to God's Word. Parents having trouble with their children, children having trouble with their parents. I'm going to get a book and learn how to how to raise children, well, good luck with that. Men don't have the answer. Men have been messing kids up for a long time. The Bible does. What about our relationship with our bosses, our neighbors, our friends, our acquaintances? What about our service for the Lord? I'm going to get a book on how to do that. I'm going to learn how to be a better soul winner. I'm going to learn how to be a, a better testimony for the Lord. Folks, you can read all those books to your blue in the face. Just come to the Scripture and find out what the Bible says. Learn to handle it well. Learn to handle it skillfully. If, if men and women would spend more time studying this book and learning how to handle it well and letting the inner man be changed into what it should be, we wouldn't need Bible colleges. We wouldn't need seminars and conferences. We'd have men and women who were workmen that need not to be ashamed, that could rightly divide the word of truth, and would be prepared unto every good work. We're living in a day where we have these things. We have Sword of the Lord conferences. We have... Southwide Baptist Fellowship and every big major college in the country that's associated with the church has some kind of conference. Soul winning conference, pastor school conference. Folks, we just need to study the Bible. God didn't tell us to go and have conferences. God didn't tell us to go and start colleges so we can train kids. God said, let's just be workmen that need not to be ashamed. Let's study this book. Let's know it well and be prepared to do the work that God's given us to do. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful that You teach us things that if we did not hear it or see it in Your Word, we would not know it otherwise. Lord, we would look to men. We would look to their devices and their their remedies and their solutions. And Lord, I'm not saying that a conference does not encourage our hearts and challenge us. But Father, I am saying that everything that we could get at a...